0: Well, hi, everyone. Uh, I am not Sean, as you might have noticed. Uh, My name is Eric. If you don't know me, I I get to help out with the youth ministry here at TCC, um, which is a really awesome opportunity, and I really like it a lot. Uh, But probably more importantly than that, I get to be what I'm assuming. I don't know this for sure because I haven't been here the whole time. But I'm assuming I am the first person in TCC history uh, to wish everyone a very happy Lilijalufdun. Uh, if you don't know what that is, uh, that is uh, the Swedish holiday of Christmas Eve Eve, or Little Christmas Eve. I discovered it last night when I Googled "What is Christmas Eve Eve called?" And uh, it began in Sweden in 19, or 1775, and uh, still a tradition there. So Happy Lilla Julften, everyone! You're supposed to say "You too." <laughs> thank you. That's very thank you. That's very kind. Um, <clears throat> anyways, I'm really excited to be here this morning. I don't usually get to preach. Um, the little, just, little, little thing is probably why, but um, we're going to dive into God's Word together. So if you got a Bible, go ahead and grab that. If you do not have a Bible, there should be one at the end of your row. Uh, someone would be happy to pass that down uh, to you. If you don't want to do that, uh, there is this thing called the Internet, and uh, you can Google uh, Mark chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 35 through 41. So Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? You guys pray with me real quick. Jesus, I am grateful for um, a Sunday to be together in one service as a church body. we don't get to do much uh, but there's just through all the stuff we've been going through as people as families and as a church family I just ask that you're here right now I pray that you are working in the hearts of every person in this room pray that you're working in my own heart father I pray that you would push my weird personality to the side and that you would go forth through this scripture that you would move in our hearts and we would see Jesus as more clear and beautiful because of what you can offer us so, Lord, enlighten our hearts, quicken our ears, that we might worship you and proclaim you as king. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, uh, Christmas is a really special time for of the year for most people, and especially for my wife and I, and not just because I get to watch the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, Jingle All the Way, um, <clears throat> but because of other reasons. Now, I know a lot of people have uh, different traditions in your families. Maybe you like to watch certain movies, or you like to sing certain songs, or go certain places. Uh, we like to reminisce on our time, dealing with our one-and-a-half-year-old the first time she contracted hand, foot, and mouth disease, uh, which is a really fun way to spend Christmas. Uh, It was, yeah, it was really magical. If you're not familiar with hand, foot, and mouth disease, it's where uh, kids get, like, these sores on their hands and their feet and their mouth and uh, everywhere else. And um, some kids get it, and they're completely fine. And then whatever you would call, like, the opposite of a Christmas miracle is what happened to us. Uh, Like, she was, like, not fine at all. Whatever the opposite of fine was, that's what she was uh, that. Anyways, um, so I have like these really vivid memories of just like three or four days straight of like no sleeping, no rest, no relaxing. There was only Daniel Tiger's neighborhood and screaming. And that was it. That was my whole life for like 36 hours. Uh, I have this really particular memory of like sitting on our couch in our living room at like four o'clock in the morning, shoveling like little pieces of bread into her mouth because it was like the only food she would eat. And like staring at the Christmas tree at four in the morning like this. It was awful. Anyways, um, it was a completely chaotic several days, and I, like, I don't know where, you know, time doesn't matter anymore, it's just chaos, um, but we did find this little bit of relief, we found that if we drove around and played music really softly, uh, she would get a little bit of rest, and we would go look at Christmas lights, and <clears throat> it was actually, that was a kind of a nice time, and we like to reflect on that. And enjoy that as well. There's this one song in particular that was kind of like a balm to our souls. Uh, it's called Snow by Sleeping at Last. It's maybe some of you have heard it before. Really, really pretty. Jot it, jot it down on a note and listen to it um, later if you have a chance. It's really just soft, pretty piano with some really beautiful, profound words about the gentleness of snow. And um, in this sense, this season of uh, sickness and this chaos that was all around us, we found this little glimmer of peace. It was a really sweet time. Um, Now, not all of you here are going to relate to having a baby with hand, foot, and mouth disease, and you should be thankful for that. Uh, But certainly everyone has experienced, especially around Christmas, this season of just chaos, confusion, and craziness, right? And so, in this broken world where everything is not the way that it should be, it's to be expected, right? That everything's going to be a little bit weird sometimes, that things are not going to be the way that we want them to be. They're not going to feel natural and right. This whole world is filled with sickness, pain, depression, anger, famine, lust, perversions, and death. And it's in these moments where the catastrophes of life are swirling around us that we find Jesus Christ, who is the Prince of Peace. And so in this passage that we're going to be spending some time in today, we have a very literal storm that is causing the followers of Jesus to fear for their very lives. And in faith, they call out to him for help. Jesus' response shakes them to their very, very core. And so as we begin to understand who Jesus is, we gain a peace that weathers any storm. As we understand who Jesus is, we gain a peace that weathers any storm. Before we jump into t- this text, I want to set the scene for you a little bit. Uh, backing up before this, Jesus is completely exhausted. He spent the whole day talking to hundreds and hundreds of people, teaching them about God's soon to be coming kingdom, and he is just, he, the dude is wiped, right? You know, you've you, we have teachers here, right? You spent the whole day teaching, and then like after school studying and tutoring, and you just get home and you're just like, I'm done, man. That's it. I got nothing. So that's kind of what Jesus is going with. He's just a tired, tired dude. And so they get into a fishing boat, and they set out to sail on the Sea of Galilee. And I think we have slides now. So this is what the boat probably looked like. Um, This is an archaeological find in Israel. Um, This boat is from around 40 B.C. to 50 A.D., so right around that same time. So this is what the boat that they were in would have looked like. It's about 20 feet long and about 7 or 8 feet wide, so not huge, but definitely bigger than a canoe, right? Um, But all that to say, there's a a handful of these boats together. So they were probably sitting pretty close and cozy on these boats. Uh, The Sea of Galilee, which is right here um, on one side, is about 210 meters below sea level, which makes it the lowest freshwater lake in the world. This is particularly important. This sea is located in kind of a bowl area. You can kind of see the mountains on either side in that picture. Um, This bowl results in windstorms happening pretty frequently, just the way it naturally um, works out. And so all these winds kind of come down and make these swirling things. So it wasn't uncommon to have windstorms in the Sea of Galilee. What was uncommon was for having a windstorm in the middle of the night. People typically did their fishing in the middle of the night to avoid, avoid these windstorms, and that's why they also went sailing at night. Uh, there are some other passages in the Scripture where we see Peter and the other fishermen had spent their nights fishing, And so the the sail was pretty normal, but the the storm was not normal. This is all taking place towards the beginning of Jesus' three years of itinerant ministry in the relatively small area in Israel and in the nearby areas. The 12 people who were following him, the disciples, kind of already knew who he was, but were really getting an understanding of his power. They had seen a few miracles at this point in time. They would seen a handful of healings. so the disciples are sitting in their boat and expecting kind of like this nice, easy sail. And the, sto- the storm shows up out of nowhere. And these men, who are, a lot of them have sailing experience and are seasoned sailors, uh, something's not right, you know. These people were men who spent time on boats, and all of a sudden they're crying out for help uh, to a Bible teacher. Um, so things are, you know, things are getting real. Um, the pastor and theologian R.C. Sproul makes a fascinating observation that I really like that the Greek word mega, which is translated into English as great, is used three times in this passage. There is a great storm, there is a great calm that results in a great fear. So these three megas, three megas, uh, Greek scholars can help me on that one, three megas offer us three hopes into finding a great peace this Christmas. So we're going to go through those three things, and I hope you see the peace that Christ will offer us. Mega number one, megastorm. we call it Jesus in the great storm, but megastorm sounds cooler. All right, verse 37 says, And a great windstorm arose, a mega windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was filling. The Japanese word kamikaze literally means divine wind and was coined after one of my favorite events in world history. Um, if you're not familiar, in the year 1274 during the reign of the Mongolian Empire the Mongols who were led by Kublai Khan uh, decided it was time to take Japan and so they set out they land in Japan, there's some really fierce fighting and they're like, ah, this isn't going well and so they decide, okay, we're going to regroup on the mainland, get more people, come back and kind of just overwhelm Japan Um, on the way back to the mainland uh, a a typhoon out of nowhere hits them and it sinks the entire Mongolian Navy all at once and it's like, wow Um, so, you know, they, they go go back, and they're still doing their thing on the mainland. Japan's still its own free country. And about, what is it, seven years later, they decide to try again. And in the meantime, Japan had started to build up these walls to kind of um, protect themselves. And so they, the Mongolian Navy, who sent about 4,000 ships carrying 140,000 men, making it the second largest naval assault in history after D-Day, um, they're, they're just floating and surrounding Japan, and they're just waiting to find somewhere to dock, like just in you know, a land ship, and just take the Japanese out. And what happens but a second typhoon comes and sinks the entire Mongolian Navy? <laughs> right? It's like, man, whoever counted on two typhoons. Um, in Japanese mythology, they credit these storms to one of their gods, that these storms were sent in order to protect the people on the island. And while we would say that the theolo- this mythology is not quite accurate, it's similar to the Bible in that the storytellers recognize the power and the impact of a storm. And perhaps one of the most impressive aspects of the storm in the Bible begins with Jesus getting in the boat. Right, Jesus gets into his boat with the followers and says, let us go. Jesus is not a fool and he's not a man limited in knowledge like you and I are. Jesus steps into a boat that's going into a storm knowing exactly what's about to happen. Jesus knows that a threat to his life and the lives of his friends is coming, that his closest friends are going to encounter the scare of their entire lives and they'll be completely powerless. And this is the same Jesus who chooses his words carefully, looks his friends in the eyes and says, Let us go. He doesn't send his disciples alone. He doesn't say, good luck, you have fun. He doesn't say, I'll see you guys on the other side. He doesn't go out and be like, I'll be praying for you. You know, he going to give one of that. He gets in the boat, he knows exactly what's coming, and he rides into the scariest moment of his life with his friends. And I hope that can give you guys some encouragement that Jesus does not want us going through storms of our lives alone. Christmas is typically a festive and joyous time for many of us, and especially a lot of us in this church recently. We know how hard Christmas can be. Right? You can be a time with family, but it can be a reminder of loss of family. It can be a time of prosperity for a lot of people, but it can be a time to mourn sickness. And in America, especially where Christmas is a time for giving and receiving, it can be a time that forces you to look at what you do not have. This season, this world, and this life is marked by so much hurt, pain, and sickness, and death. And what Jesus promises us in this passage is that he will sail into the worst of life with us. Uh, Matt Chandler is a pastor of the Village Church in Texas, and he says this, God does not drive an ambulance. Right, an ambulance driver, as thankful for them as I am, the ambulance driver shows up at an accident, and their response is to try to piece everything back together. Right, That is not what God does. God isn't surprised by the storms in our lives. He's not frantically putting everything back together, like that game Perfection from 1997, where you had to put all those little pieces back in the thing before it popped back out. Um, you know, put the pieces into the slot. The, no, sorry. Um, <clears throat> um, so, you know, like, God's not racing to beat a clock in our lives. God's not trying to figure out how things got so messy, and he's not trying to stitch things back together. God has made us a promise with a plan, and he says, behold, I am making all things new. God's not making things better, he's making them new. He's not trying to fix your broken lives, he's trying to give you a new life. And make no mistake, it is okay to be scared by your storm. It is okay to hurt and for the odds to seem utterly insurmountable. In his letters from a Birmingham jail Dr Martin Luther King Jr notes that the reason that we as humans as humans have this sense of injustice and wrongness is because we've been created with this intrinsic understanding that there is a greater and divine law that we understand has been violated Put simply we ache because we recognize that things aren't aren't the way that they're supposed to be if the natural world was all that there was, we would have absolutely no reason to object to pain, death, injustices or anything. They would be natural and we would accept them as such, but our pain universally reveals to us what we already know that pain is not right. Tim Keller is a former pastor who preached in New York City and he preached and he counseled and he talked with a lot of people. In the wake, in the weeks following uh, 9/11, and he had to do a lot of wrestling with the question of why does God allow pain and suffering to happen? Or in our situation right here this morning, why does God allow storms? He says this. I'm going to put the hopefully put the quote on the screen. You can follow along. <clears throat> he says this to an interfaith audience. One of the great th- themes of the Hebrew scriptures is that God identifies with the suffering. There are all these great texts that say things like this. If you oppress the poor, you oppress me. I am a husband to the widow. I am a father to the fatherless. I think the texts are saying God binds up his heart so closely with suffering people that he interprets any move against them as a move against him. This is powerful stuff, but Christianity says he goes even beyond that Christians believe that in Jesus, God's son, divinity became vulnerable to and involved in suffering and death. He didn't come as a general or an emperor. He came as a carpenter. He was born in a manger, no room in the inn. But it is on the cross that we see the ultimate wonder. On the cross where we sufferers finally see to our shock, God now knows what it is to lose a loved one in an unjust attack. You see what this means. Yes, we don't know the reason God allows evil and suffering to continue, but we know what the reason isn't. We know what it can't be. It can't be that he doesn't love us. It can't be that he doesn't care. God so loved us and hates suffering that he was willing to come down and get involved in it. And therefore the cross is an incredibly empowering hint. It is only a hint, but if you grasp it, it can transform you and it can give you strength. This God of ours, the one that we are celebrating his coming this week, entered a world of pain, He entered through the painful process of childbirth. as a baby, he was surrounded by the painful acts of King Herod, as he ordered the slaughter of hundreds of children. He lived in a he lived in a family of sinful people. He made friends with sinful men. His, one of his closest friends died, and he himself endured mocking, torture and death. Jesus sailed into pain. And he continues to do that with us. We don't always know why. A lot of times we can only see the hurt. But he means it for our good and for his glory. John Stott put it this way. I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. If the In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who was immune to it? Jesus is not surprised by our storms. He isn't unfamiliar with the winds and waves of life. There is peace for us when we remember that Jesus is with us in the journey, and he sailed into the storms like we do. That's Jesus in the mega storm. So mega number two is Jesus and the mega calm. Jesus and the great calm. Verse 39 reads, And he awoke and rebuked the winds and said to the sea, Peace! Be still! And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. We're going to make this lighthearted again. Um, Any other parents out there, this is for you. Do you guys know what I'm going to lovingly refer to as the bad day sprint to bedtime? Some smiles. All right, if you guys don't know that, if you um, are not a babysitter or a parent, let me explain this to you. Um, It's been a terrible day for everyone, right, from the moment you wake up. It's just argument, there's crankiness, there's unhappiness, no one can be pleased. Uh, there's nonstop messes, tears, yelling, hitting, screaming, things breaking. Dinner time hits, and you're like, let's go. Bedtime's right there. Eyes on the prize. Let's do it. So it's mad dash. You put your food like right in front of your kid, and you're just like, hey, are you done eating yet? <clears throat> right? And so you just, on your mark, get set, pray, eat, drink, bath, jammy, shortest story I can possibly find, prayers, kisses, lights out, huddle up on the couch, praying that they don't come out of their room. <laughs> Is that relatable for anyone else? Okay, good. I'm not the only bad parent. <laughs> oh, my. For people without kids, I need to explain to you the absolute feeling of euphoria that hits once the noises stop coming out of that room. It's like, oh, (laughs) right? It's just like, man, I could watch anything on Netflix and be happy right now. I'm turning on the Yule Log channel for the next 10 hours and it is a cinematic masterpiece, right? Every conversation is just like balm to your soul because it's not with a small person asking why. <clears throat> right, it's just like, oh, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Right, the level of calm that hits you after the storm of that day is just so next level amazing. Right, it's that level of peace that comes after a storm is what ultimately is so so good. This is the type of calm that Jesus creates. Right, I'm not saying that Jesus is going to lock your kids in a room and just like let you have a party, um, <clears throat> but. Jesus creates a great calm after great storms, right? As powerful and massive as the storm is and all the devastation that can be caused, a peace is found only in Jesus Christ that puts any storm out there to shame. We read the storybook Bible uh, pretty often in our household, and there's a chapter um, in that book that goes over this story, and um, Jesus stands up at the front of the boat and he uses the word hush. Just like that. Right? And the winds and the waves, they recognize the voice of their creator. These winds that have been roaring around for thousands and thousands of years recognize that's the voice that called me into existence in the very beginning. Jesus' power is put on show, and what was in one moment an epic, light-threatening storm is suddenly stillness, quietness, and tranquility, a quietness that is begotten only by God's power, a power God has offered to each one of us, and there is one thing definitely true as Jesus puts his power on display. Jesus is the only one who calms the storm. Now, that's a truth that I think many of us probably don't like, even if we don't think about it like that, and I'll give you an example A couple Thursdays ago, I got a very difficult phone call that's been weighing on me for every minute since then. And uh, it's something that I couldn't do a thing about. I was powerless, and all of a sudden I found myself in a storm that I have been praying actively against not happening for a long time. There's not a thing I can do about it. And in my insecurities, I do what maybe a lot of you guys do. Uh, I start fixing things that I do have control over, right? I go to work, and I'm like, I'm going to do a heck of a job today. And I just start knocking things out. I get home, and I'm like, you know what? Let's fix the light fixtures in here, right? It's not broken, but let's fix it, right? And that's that's my sinful flesh kind of working itself out because I want to find a situation that I have control over. That's me wanting to calm the storm. But for control freaks like me, there's a great peace that comes when we recognize that Jesus is the one who calms the storm. And even though the disciples are the ones who are rightly rebuked at the end of the passage, they do one thing correctly, and they go to Jesus for help. In our pain and circumstances, it is far too easy to feel bad for ourselves or just to keep throwing fixes or money at our circumstances and hope for the best. But in this passage, the solution is told. Our solution to storms and problems in life is not found within. It is found without. It is found in a Savior and in a friend. It is found in Jesus. This is the same Jesus who invites us into his presence to enjoy him and follow him, who says, come to me, you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Jesus is the one who is greater than the world. These storms are so distracting. They're so easy to look at the storm and think, maybe God doesn't love me. But God is the one who says, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of, Christ Jesus, love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the love of God. That makes his home with us, calls us children, and says to the gale force winds in our own hearts, peace be still. The author John Bloom says this, the secret to contentment is very simple. It does not require heroic acts of piety. In fact, it requires a childlike response from us. The secret is beautifully summed up in the phrase, trust in the Lord with all your heart. God gives us peace, not because we are peaceful, but because he is powerful. I'm not peaceful right now because I think some political leader or some social justice movement is going to solve all of this world's problems. I have peace in this life because I trust in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the power of God, the one whom the storms obey, who the one who the mountains bow down to. That's my God and that's my peace. That's the mega peace. So mega number three is mega fear. I'm having fun with this in case you couldn't tell. <laughs> <laughs> excuse me, Jesus and the great fear. Verse 41 reads like this. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Uh, so I didn't grow up reading this story. I didn't grow up in a Christian household at all. Uh, and so like the first time I read this and you make these observations, it's kind of funny. Um, you know, like what, I wonder what they were kind of hoping might happen right? Like, they've seen him heal a few people, which is cool, but, like, have you ever, like, just gotten help not knowing what you wanted someone to do, and you're, like, you know, the the disciples are, like, Jesus, wake up! And he's, like, what do you want me to do? Are you awake? Yeah, (laughs) I'm awake, right? Um, So, like, I just don't know what they were expecting from him, like, because they're clearly not ready for what he did. It's a case of mistaken identity. Sort of. Um, They thought they knew who Jesus was, and he blows them out of the water. And perhaps one of the most important relevant examples of mistaken or unknown identity of the 20th century uh, was brought to us in the 1980s by uh, George Lucas in The Empire Strikes Back. Um, I'm going to work really hard not to reveal any spoilers for the younger people, but if you're an adult, sorry, I mean, the movie's been out for 38 years. It's kind of on you. Right? So in the Empire Strikes Back, uh, Luke, and Sky- Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader are locked in this pretty epic lightsaber battle, and Luke only knows Vader to be the sinister bad guy who is like, hell-bent on destroying and owning the entire galaxy. And they're so having this fight, and Luke gets his hand cut off, and there's a part where- of his identity that's hidden from Luke, right? That he just doesn't know about. And it's also hidden from the audience. And there's this moment that has become a cultural phenomenon. I guess we have slides now, so we have the, the video. I want to show this to you of someone's reaction are we good? Cool. Yeah, we're going to watch someone's, uh, an adult's reaction to seeing this, excuse me, this for the first time. Oh, by the way, her mouth doesn't normally hang open like that all the time. All right, let's keep watching. You and He told me Put that really his I love it. <laughs> So great. So so great. Anyways, so on a much larger scale, that's what's happening in this passage, right? Instead of a movie, these guys are watching Jesus in real life, and instead of it's their friend or their child or their spouse, this is their God right in front of them. And they're dealing with something, that a feeling that probably few people in history have ever had to really deal with. On the one hand, hey, this is my friend, this is my mentor, this is a guy I've been learning from and hanging out with for a while. I have a pretty good understanding of who this guy is. On the other hand, your best friend just got to the front of a boat and yelled at nature. That's weird. And then nature listened. That's weirder, right? That's straight up terrifying, right? If I just yelled at the sun, you guys would probably have a very different opinion of me but if the son listened, you'd have a very different opinion of me, right? David Mathis is a pastor who says this, stealing the sea is such a show-stopping demonstration of power that flooding their souls isn't the happy realization that their buddy Jesus has more power than they had estimated, but the unnerving new awareness that they have misunderstood his very identity. These disciples <clears throat> were grew, who grew up in the Jewish tradition, at this point they had read and memorized, mostly, if not entirely memorized, the book of Psalms. Like not just like you and me, like I know many verses. No, like he had the book they had the book memorized and they're watching this happen and they see Jesus. He says, Peace be still, everything stops, and this is what goes through their minds. Psalm 65, 7, God who stills the roaring of the seas and the roaring of their waves. Psalm 89, 9, you rule the raging of the seas. When its waves rise, you still them. Psalm 93, 4, mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. In Psalm 107, 29, he made the storm to be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. It hits them all of a sudden. Jesus of Nazareth is not just Jesus of Nazareth. He's very different from us. Jesus being different provides a sense of peace for those who call him Lord. If we could calm storms, we'd have no reason to worship him. If we could command peace in our own hearts, we wouldn't need his help. If we could do anything for ourselves and add to our salvation, then Jesus would never have died a torturous death on the cross. Jesus being different means that Jesus is the perfect man and that on the cross he became the perfect sacrifice to a perfect God so that an imperfect people could know a perfect love. Romans 5.8 says God chose his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Everyone in this room, we have sinned. You have sinned. You have messed up. You've hurt other people. Maybe this month, maybe this week, maybe this morning. But each and every one of us has sinned, and we cannot forgive ourselves. That is illogical. We have not sinned primarily against each other. We have sinned against God Almighty. and A sin against an eternal God is an eternal sin that deserves an eternal punishment. We have earned hell. But in love, mercy, and grace, Jesus came to earth as a baby. He lived a perfect life we never could have lived. He died a death that we should have died. And he rose from the grave to show that God has power over death. And he was able to do that because God is different from us. And because Jesus is different from us, we have hope in the future. If you're familiar with Lord of the Rings... I'm really touching on a lot of really good topics today. Star Wars and Lord of the Rings. Sorry, I didn't realize this when it was coming together. Um, If you're familiar with Lord of the Rings, at the very end of the last book, uh, Sam Gamgee wakes up and he finds not only is he alive, which he didn't expect, not only is he alive, but Frodo is alive, his best friend. uh, Another friend that he thought was dead, Gandalf, he finds has been alive. And he finds that evil has been defeated. And he looks right at Gandalf and he realizes he's together with everyone and his friends and he's safe and he asks the question that each of us ask in our own hearts every time we're in a storm. He asks, is everything sad coming untrue? That's the question we all want to know, right? Will the storms of this life be peeled back one day and we will look at the man in the boat who calms the storm and we know the answer is yes. When we look at the disfigured corpse on the cross, we know the answer is yes. When we see the resurrected Christ, we know the answer is yes. When we read God's perfect word, who, when we see Jesus, he says, Death shall be no more, and neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. We know with absolute certainty all things will be made new, and all pains and all hurts will come untrue like a dream that melts away. This is our peace, and if that God is for us, who can be against us? Because Jesus is different, he causes a great fear, a fear of the Lord that is powerful and strong. So this Christmas, if you do not follow Jesus, recognize that you do not have a lasting peace apart from Jesus Christ. This is a God who is for his people, but he wants you. He wants you. He's calling you. He says, turn away from your sin. Admit that you've messed up. Ask for forgiveness and follow Jesus. And the fear of God leads us to recognize that Jesus is different and that we should turn and follow him. In God, we find peace. That does not mean God is a genie who solves all of our problems and our life will not suddenly be free from hurt and pain. But it means that you will have a friend in the storm. And so my hope for all of us is that as we celebrate Christmas this week, when we think about the baby who came to earth, we can trust in all that he has done for us. He rides into the storm of life with us He calms our storms, and he shows himself to be faithful and gives us himself in those storms. And as we follow God, and you are his friend, you get this promise to you, that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you that you are a mega God, a great God, who is bigger than anything else in our lives. Lord, you are love, you are grace. You are the one who calms the storms, you are the one who sails into storms with us, and you are the one who gives us the power to get through that. And so, Lord, as we venture into this really difficult week for some people and a really joyous week for all of us who celebrate Christ the Savior, I pray that you would help us to reflect on that. Turn away and remind us it's never too late to reach out for Christ, who loves us, who died for us, who lives again and even now sails into the storms with us. We love you and we praise your holy and precious name. Amen.